0: Hi, I'm Andy Kindler, and you're listening to P.F.'s Tape Recorder. Are you enjoying it? I certainly hope so.
1: Hello there, I'm P.F. This is my tape recorder. Coming up, it's Jimmy O. Yang. It's kind of like a fun fact
0: thing. I didn't really... Work from uh, a lot. They they were going on a tour to China as they always do, and I think like the year prior to that they had some snags or like cultural differences. So they went on Google and like look for like uh, you know Chinese comedians
1: had a brief but very good chat with Jimmy. He was uh, kind enough to take some time out of his very, very busy schedule uh, doing the acting and comedy type thing, and uh, so we spoke to him and had a good chat, and we'll be uh, hearing that in just a few minutes, of course. Uh, we're going to hear a song of the week from Surf Curse, but first, as always, a dumb bit... So, of course, the uh, big Ukrainian Trump impeachment thing very much in the news. And uh, we, we have a new feature. We're going to call it The Hell With Everything. It's pretty similar to what kind of nonsense is that. But I just, I don't know, the, that old Jerry Seinfeld bit about Cookie Crisp popped into my head. And I felt like calling this a bit The Hell With Everything. So the reason we call it that is because um, I'll just grab this piece from Fox News here. And bravo, Chris Wallace, Fox News Sunday, for actually being a journalist again. Uh, Asking Chris Stewart, representative from Utah, who's on the Senate Intelligence Committee, uh, about the the Trump call. And uh, Chris Stewart says this. It comes down to one sentence in one phone call. And when you read that in its entirety, it's very clear. He doesn't ever link it to military aid. It's never even mentioned. And understand this, the White House released a transcript, unapproved. Now it's not an exact transcript, but it, it, when they approved, they said, "Yeah, here's here's what was said." Even though it was an exact transcript, we're comfortable telling this what this is what it was. And to hear from Vice Magazine, I don't know why they did it this way, but uh, this is a uh, two people reading the the parts of the conversation. Uh, the lady's voice you will hear is the president of Ukraine. Uh, the gentleman with I guess the Australian accent is uh, President Trump. And it, well, I'll just play this little snippet. We are almost ready to buy more javelins from the United States for defense purposes. I would like you to do us a favor though, because our country has been through a lot and Ukraine knows a lot about it. We need you to do us a favor, though. That sounds like the two things are put together. I mean, how much more obvious can it be? I mean, there's all kind of facets to this thing. Should Hunter Biden have been, uh, you know, accepted a job in Ukraine for an oil company that's owned by the Ukrainian government? Yeah, there's all—you can—but— And Chris Wallace goes on to ask the senator, uh, I mean, the congressman, by the way, why are we just investigating Joe Biden for corruption when there's probably all kinds of corrupt things going on uh, in the world with much more money involved? But anyway, this whole thing could be boiled down to just two distinct pieces. We're almost ready to buy more javelins from the United States for defense purposes. I would like you to do us a favor, though, because our country has been through a lot and Ukraine knows a lot about it. And the fact that anybody uh, on the right and the conservatives and the GOP could see this any other way, how how do you not see that? I would like you to do us a favor, though, because our country has been through a lot, and Ukraine knows a lot about it. So in other words, uh, this whole situation from the uh, GOP-slash-administration side should not be called uh, the impeachment or the Ukrainian controversy. It should simply be called... The hell with everything! Jimmy O. Yang is a stand-up comedian originally from Hong Kong. Yes, he was born there to Chinese parents, moved to Los Angeles when he was 13. He's now better known as an actor by some of you, but here now is our interview with Jimmy O. Yang. So let me ask you, um, what came first, the acting or the stand-up? Are we always, always kind of interested in both?
0: Stand up for sure. Um, I didn't even think I was going to be an actor. I just started doing stand up because I was bored and I was looking for something to do. Because I I graduated with an econ degree and I really didn't want to do that, <laughs> you know. So I tried a few things and I landed on stand up, and uh, it was just fun. I had to pay like I had to pay five bucks for like five minutes of stage time and an open mic, and uh, that was still really fun to me because of the community and all that. And then years later. Um, after I started, uh, I found like an acting agent and the acting stuff started coming, you know,
1: coming to the picture. So, were you a funny kid growing up or were you a fan of stand up or do you just kind of stumble onto it?
0: I think I guess I was always kind of funny in my family. My dad's a very funny guy. He's a ball buster for sure. And I think being the youngest in the family, you're always the one responsible for like diffusing you know, any serious situations, stuff like that. It's like, hey, look at me, don't argue, guys, you know? Huh. And um, I, I really didn't know what standup was, like, because I grew up in Hong Kong. Um, so I didn't really watch any standup until I came here in the States when I was 13. Uh, and then I really fell in love with like BET Rap City and kind of like that urban community of standup, um, more than, uh, you know, the Comedy Central stuff. Uh, so yeah, I always found it very interesting, but I never
1: thought it would be something that
0: I would do as a profession, you know? Uh,
1: this may seem like kind of a dumb question, but I'm really not sure, because a, a buddy of mine actually did the reverse, and he taught over in Hong Kong for a while. I think he's in Malaysia, mm-hmm. now he teaches English. Um, was it a big culture shock coming from Hong Kong to the U.S., especially at the age of 13?
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. Like, I learned how to speak English, how American kids would learn how to you know, speak Spanish, like on paper, very surface level. Uh-huh. So when I first came here, when I was 13, like I really couldn't, I don't have a good grasp of the language. Everybody was like talking way too fast, it seems like. And I learned how to watch, uh, I learned a lot of English by watching like BET City, BET like Comic View and stuff like that, because it was just so interesting to me. Hmm. Um, And yeah, it took me years of like ESL classes and all that to kind of assimilate, you know.
1: And uh, so you said you tried other stuff besides stand-up and instead of doing uh, economics. What uh, what other things did you try?
0: Huh. Uh, I wouldn't say that necessarily career stuff. I didn't think stand-up was going to be a career, but just stuff that, so I can find a community. You know, I, I tried boxing classes. Okay. I tried jiu-jitsu
1: classes, and I was uh, horrible at both of those things.
0: So you know, ended up doing stand-up.
1: So but, so what gave you that final push to try stand-up? Do you think, oh, I remember watching this on TV and I could probably do this? Or did you go to a couple open mics first and think, hmm?
0: Yeah. Um, I've always said that, you know, when someone types in their Google search, local open mics, they're probably like one step away from typing in what's the best way to kill yourself. <laughs> you know, like it, it's pretty bleak. When uh, you start doing open mics, but um, like I said, like, even as crappy as that was, it was still better than, you know, the alternative, which is sitting at home, wasting my life away from right. video games, with my buddies, you know. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I definitely didn't think I could do that as a profession for years. And uh, was I very good in the beginning? I don't think anybody was, you know. Um, and I don't have like a fairy tale story of like, oh, my brother and I used to sneak into Eddie Murphy Raw <laughs> and like, you know, and I promised him I'll be a, a, a comedian before he passed away. No, no, no. I just, I, I, I was born and I needed a community. And I think the stand up community is great because the weirder you are, the less you fit into any other community, the more you fit into the stand up community.
1: That's true. Yeah. Um, I live from uh, here in Cincinnati. Um, so, uh, my next question was, oh, where did you start doing stand-up? Uh, was it Los Angeles or was it?
0: Uh... Yeah, it was uh, during the summer because I went to college in San Diego. And it was during the summer when I was back home living with my dad, just kind of depressed. I'm about to graduate college, not sure what to do with my life. And, uh, yeah, it was at the Ha Ha Comedy Club in North Hollywood. Uh, is oh, wow. not very glamorous. Not, North Hollywood is uh, definitely not a uh, fun place, even though it sounds like, oh, it's Hollywood oh, <laughs> um, it's a bunch of like old auto mechanic shops and, uh, it's kind of crappy. But, uh, yeah, I, I still go back to that club and perform sometimes. It's a good spot. And then when I moved back down to San Diego for my last year of college, that's when I really got into stand-up. You know, uh, I worked at a stand-up comedy club called Comedy Palace. It was a Greek restaurant during the day and then the comedy club at night. It was, uh, it was a fun time. I didn't make any money. And, uh, um, it, it was, it was, it was just like a minimum wage job. I would like, you know, work the door for two hours in exchange for like stage time. But it, it was an amazing time. Looking back, I still the most fun time of my life, yeah.
1: Cool. And had a lot of friends uh, that were doing stand-up in San Diego. You make a lot of friends in that community?
0: Yeah, I'm still really close friends with them. Like my buddy Terrell Wright, who is amazing, super funny. And actually, uh, he was one of my openers this past weekend when I did the Irvine Improv. So it's good that now I can take some of these uh, old homies on the road and stuff. So
1: There you go. You know. Spread the love. Yeah. So is it mm-hmm. correct you were a writer slash uh, consultant for the Harlem Globetrotters? Yeah, it was...
0: It's kind of like a fun fact thing. I didn't really work for them uh, a, a lot. They, they were going on a tour to China as they always do. And I think like the year prior to that they had, they had some snags or like cultural differences or like oh, oh what's this offensive or not so they went on Google and like look for like uh, you know Chinese comedians and at that time I was still very new but I was like the only Chinese comedians uh, in in LA so uh, they seeked me out and I met with them at an airport for like two hours uh, and I read the script yeah they have a script and I just read the script and I told them yeah man uh I don't know. It, it looks good to me.
1: I'm sure Asian
0: people will <laughs> like
1: you. You know, was, and, and they gave me 200 bucks. It, it was nothing. Oh, okay. So you did, you didn't add any jokes or anything like that.
0: No, I mean, I, I, I it was just such a random thing. Like I, I, might have told them like, "Hey, Hello Kitty is Japanese and not Chinese," something
1: <laughs> like that. FYI. Like but no, I, I didn't add anything. Okay. I, mean, I was. Uh,
0: they paid me 200 dollars. You know. Yeah. What? Nothing to see.
1: For a two-hour meeting, that's nothing to sneeze at. Huh? Okay, ready for, uh, I have a, an, an open mic joke that I used to do. It involves the Harlem Globetrotters. You ready? Let's hear it. Okay. Anybody get the score of the Generals Globetrotters game? Thank you very much. <laughs> I know if they still play the Generals, nice. but why would you need the score? <laughs> okay, mm-hmm. there you go. So you can see why I only ever got to, uh, to do a couple of open mics. It all... It all <laughs> You know, I think all of us
0: started very poorly. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, one of my first jokes is like jerking off and watching sports center at the same time that I accidentally jerked off to Michael Vick scoring a touchdown or something like that.
1: Yeah.
0: We've all, you know, sure. had
1: those kind of jokes. <laughs> well, what do you talk about on stage these days? Mm.
0: I try to um just
1: talk about my truth, you know, my
0: family, uh my experience being an Asian American. Stuff like that i think we all begin with like very general jokes about stereotypes stuff like that now i mean i still talk about that kind of stuff but um maybe digging in a deeper way of uh you know spinning certain stereotypes and stuff uh and 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 just my experience being an asian american and being an asian american on tv and have people come up to me as like silicon valley fans and be like hey man i didn't know you speak english in
1: real life <laughs> you know, and and, and and how you feel about that. And are people's perceptions gradually changing in America? Because, you know, as an old white guy who lives in an old white suburb of Cincinnati, it's very difficult for me to tell. So I don't, uh, I, don't I I can't really, really tell. Is it, are, are people more, I don't know, what's the word I'm looking for? Are people less dicky, I guess? is Because <laughs> it, it used to be pretty Uh awkward. Yeah, no,
0: I, well, I mean, there were never, like,
1: I guess like I I
0: was okay with that but I think yeah um, there's a lot of awareness with Asian Americans like crazy rich Asians and the whole representation matters movement and stuff like that and I think it's great it it really matters because living in LA you know or one of the coastal cities like New York something like that you see a lot of diversity and uh, you know I feel fairly normal walking down the street but um, a lot of times when I'm in the Midwest and the South stuff like that and i'm like the only asian person you see a lot of looks and like people like not necessarily like being hateful or anything but just you know um are looking at you kind of weird and be like oh i've never seen one of them dudes before you know like wonder if he can speak you know english uh or whatever and um yeah it's uh it's interesting and i think all, all the representation stuff movies like crazy rotations, hopefully uh you know my stand up or stuff that i do will be like oh oh he's more than just a character person or or Asians can be more than just one thing you know and they can be a lot of different things so uh yeah, i hope it informs the people
1: yeah well of, I, I, of of certain regions yeah yeah i would think you know well certainly i you know in a place like uh, minneapolis and and even here in cincinnati where uh you know you come to the, the comedy club i think people you know will, will be oh it's just you know, he's a comedian, you know, there's no, it, it's not branded. And same thing happens, you know, with, with women. You know, people just say, oh, she's the, she's funny for a girl. She's the funniest woman. I'm like, she's, she's, just, she's just funny. <laughs> it's not, there's no.
0: Yeah, and I think most of my crowds are pretty spread, like half Asian people and half non-Asian people. And uh, I think even when I talk about my family and stuff like that, um, my Asian dad or whatever, it's relatable to everyone because everybody had some kind of, you know, a, a, a weird dad or an uncle they can relate
1: to. Yeah. So I think the first time I saw you was probably, uh, surprisingly not as a stand-up, because I follow stand-up a lot, but was on Silicon Valley. And uh, Yeah. Yeah. So uh, how did, I, I know coincidentally Mike Judge gave your commencement speech at college. Did that, was that just a coincidence? Yeah, or did really, while? Yeah. That,
0: yeah, when I was an econ major, because he graduated with a physics degree. And you uh, was like, right. fixing fighter jets and stuff. And his whole speech was about, hey man, you know, go do what you love, man. You know, um, you, you, you don't have to just, which, which really spoke to me as a lost college student.
1: And how did you land the, uh, uh, that gig? Was it, Did you audition? Did they see you on, on stage and say, hey, we could use this guy for our show? Or
0: No, I don't, I don't think they knew I was a stand-up. I just went and auditioned. It was a very small part. It was just like three lines on that third episode of the first season. And yeah, I, I got that part, and the part just grew from this uh, random roommate incubee in the incubator to like
1: yep.
0: kind of an asshole, <laughs> and to full blown uh, a crazy almost sociopath for a person, which I love. You know, there's a lot of
1: dimension there. It's not just like the joke's not just on him being Asian, right? Right. Uh, you know, it, yeah, yeah. So I guess that must be a fun part to really sink your teeth into. What was that? That's a fun part to sink your teeth into. You're not just like, you know, office worker or, you know, like you said, just garden variety. Yeah, absolutely, man. Absolutely. So uh, where do you see things going here? Do you want to, you know, be a a big stand-up, like a a George Carlin type, play in theaters and things like that? Do you want to pursue the acting more, or what's the trajectory look like?
0: Man, you know, um... I was taking a break from stand just because I was, uh, the acting stuff's getting so busy and then I got back into it. And I'm like, man, this is still my first love. There's nothing like the energy of a live audience and then, you know, meeting everyone, going to different cities. So I think I really want to keep doing that, man. And, uh, I'm doing this tour because I'm shooting my special in November 7th, uh, on November 7th for uh, Amazon. So, um, hopefully that'll do well. And then I can keep doing, you know, the stand-up stuff and keep having fun meeting all the fans. Um, On the TV side, I'm still doing things. um, After Silicon Valley, we're doing our last season now. I'm going to go on this show on Netflix called Space Force with Steve Carell and John Malkovich, which I think will be really, really fun. Oh, okay. Um, And then, yeah, I'm also writing a few things. uh, So we'll see how that goes.
1: Cool. Yeah, there is a lot of things like when you get that, people always say that immediacy you get from a stand-up crowd because you know right then and there if it's funny. And it's also something you created completely, so you're, you're like you're like in complete control. So I guess that kind of if there's any kind of control freak in you, that's probably what it appeals to. Absolutely, man. Yeah. But um, but on the other hand, is is it nice just to you know read somebody else's stuff and just kind of like move that further along and not have to not have all the pressure on you and in kind of the reverse. It's great
0: it's great I think especially working with somebody like mike judge alec berg and now the new show it's greg daniels who created the office and steve um they're like the freaking masters man and it's just i never went to school for acting or comedy this is like straight up like going to school for me which is awesome to just learn from everyone and working with like zach woods matt ross thomas Middleditch, uh tj and everyone you just learn so much about Comedy in general, um, not just acting. So I, I've been very fortunate to be able to be in such good company.
1: You are working with a heavy hitter, sir. <laughs> hey, you know I'm trying. Cool, man. Well, great. Well, Talking I'll let to you go right now, brother. What's that? The real heavy hitter. What's that? Not going to you it. No, oh, yeah, what <laughs> right. well, Me and all yeah. ten thousand of my listeners. But um, no, great, great to have you. I'm glad we were able to knock this out and. Uh, uh, I know you wanted to keep it down to 15 minutes, but I'm sure you got lots of things to do. And I really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, hopefully, we'll get you down here in Cincinnati sometime soon, and uh, have fun up in Minneapolis. I'm sure, you'll enjoy it. And uh, All right, and good luck with uh, with everything else. All right. Thank you, man. Jimmy O. Yang for being on the show. You can catch Jimmy, well, just go to jimmycomedy.com and you can see all his latest dates. He's going to be in uh, Minneapolis uh, from October 10th through, I believe, the 12th. There you go, uh, at the Acme Comedy Club. Then he's in Denver uh, there. I believe it's called the Comedy Works out there, the 24th through the 26th. And again, jimmycomedy.com for all your Jimmy O. Yang needs. Oh, there you have it. So uh, we're running a little late today. Well, actually not. The Jimmy interview was short, but uh, tons of things to do here on the home front. So we're going to go right over to the song of the week. It's one that uh, Liza has been playing. us, nearly Liza. It's a group called Surf Curse. Turns out they're from Reno, Nevada. It's one of those deals where it's says one dude and he's got a bunch of people helping him out variously across albums. Kind of like the Pains of Being Pure at Heart guy. That kind of situation. So anyway, the tune is called Disco and it, it, there's supposed to be a, 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 it's a surf rock kind of influence in it doesn't really sound like that, though. It sounds much more like contemporary indie rock with a little bit of surf influence. And I don't know, maybe the older stuff uh, is, because he's had, I think, a, two albums and an EP before this or something like that, so maybe that older stuff, I'll have to go back and uh, dig in and see if that sounds more surfy. But uh, this tune's pretty cool. Uh, it's one of those earworms. At first, you're kind of like, yeah, this is you know some some nice indie rock, and that kind of really gets stuck in your head here. So again, here's Disco, our track of the week on PF's Tape Recorder. So long, and thanks for listening. Like-